All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness. I'm your host, Tim Lovell, along with Dwayne Mathis. We have a special guest with us today. Chris Ford from California is joining us. Uh, we're going to let him share some news with you when we introduce him. Uh, but he's a longtime administrator coach in California, has a lot of uh, administration and leadership background and knowledge and wisdom to share with us today. We're really excited to hear from him. Uh, before we get started, though, uh, Coach Mathis, how you doing tonight, man? Doing well. This is, uh, you know, LLPG after dark here. Is uh, This is normally a little later for us, but uh, uh, excited to have uh, Coach Four here. He was uh, instrumental in me. Uh, you know, getting interviews uh, with his resume service. So just very excited to have him on with us tonight. Yeah, Coach has done a great job of helping coaches be better. Certainly helped me as well get where I am right now. And so uh, let's introduce our esteemed guest, Chris Four. How are you tonight? Hi, guys. Doing real well. Thanks for having me on. It's it's a real privilege. I'm uh, doing good. Counting down the, the days till uh, a little bit of a summer break. Yeah, this whole COVID thing has changed everything for everybody. Um, so you, you're going to be doing something here cool soon. Uh, but before we jump into that, do, do you mind, Coach, given, given our listeners who might not be as familiar with you, just your background, how you got to where you are, and, and your story? Sure, yeah. I'm uh, born and raised here in Southern California. been in education since uh, 2001. You know, started at, like most folks do in education as a as a, a teacher, and then I've kind of chose to go to the dark side after after a bunch of years. I spent spent time uh, 11, 12 years as a teacher, and then moved into being a, an athletic director. Did that for uh, six years, and then uh, I coached football for 17 years out here in in Southern California. Eight of those years as a head football coach. And uh, the last two years, I've been an assistant principal here uh, out, out here in Southern California. So that's, uh, you know, a quick overview. I, I also serve as the president of the California Coaches Association, uh, something I enjoy doing, working with coaches and, and trying to get our coaches to have a voice in the state. And uh, I love special teams. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Coach, and I know also not not to uh, steal your thunder, but I know you've also been consulted on a number of like legal cases and stuff like that as well. Uh, you know, you've had to help out in regards to athletics. Is that correct as well? Yeah, I, I, I do. I serve as an expert witness. Um, I, I don't there's a lot of days I, I wonder I'm not an expert. You know, I think anybody who coaches football. Uh, for long enough is is an expert in that sport but what happened was like four years ago this this lawyer reaches out to me emails me he's like hey I need your opinion on a, a very important lawsuit down here in Los Angeles you got some time to talk on the phone so I said yeah where'd you find me so I just found you you know found your website did a little digging about you you got an impressive background good education we're looking for somebody like you who's certified so I'm a certified athletic administrator uh, you got a master's degree. You've coached for a long time. Would you look at the facts of a case, evaluate those facts, and give me your opinion as an expert in high school football? I said, sure. And he said, okay. Also, I need you to send me your rate sheet, how much you're going to charge me for this. <laughs> and I said, charge? Like, it's, we're talking football here. What do you mean charge you? He's like, go Google expert witness fees and then develop your fees and send me a rate sheet. So that night I Googled it and I, I was like, holy smokes, 
I can make more in about eight hours of talking football than I do the whole season of coaching it. I can do this. So yeah, so I put together a little rate sheet for this guy at you know 175 bucks an hour. And uh, that's the first case I did. It was it was uh, an injury down in down in Los Angeles during seven on seven in the summer. Uh, a uh, a safety who who came up hard on a post pattern to break it up ended up tearing up his knee, and uh, the family sued. You know, saying that he had an NBA career coming. And so I worked on that case. I worked on behalf of the coaches in the school district uh, who was being sued and, and gave my opinion of that injury and. And whether or not that could have been prevented, whether or not the coaches and district were were at fault for that. And I really enjoyed it. Also made very good money doing that. And so I put together a, uh, a little web page on my site because uh, I'm always kind of an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial type of thinker. And uh, now if you know if you Google Southern California football expert, it, it comes up. So I've done about 13 cases here the last uh last three and a half years. It's, it's been very, very interesting. That's that's really, it is interesting because I, I, here in the Midwest, I, I just don't hear cases like that happening. So, uh, I mean, and the fact that you had to be called in to, uh, you know, give your opinion as an expert that, uh, you know, if an, an ACL or an ACL injury could have been prevented kind of deal. I mean, I just, that's crazy to me that parents would think of suing a, a school district or going after, um, coaches because of an injury like that, you know, those things are just kind of freak. Incident. Yeah. yeah. Cal- California is very litigious. Um, most of the cases have been here in California. I've done some outside of California. I had a case I worked on out in Florida. It was a wrongful death case, uh, you know, where, where a kid, a kid died, you know, and that's a, that's a horrific thing. Um, a kid died, you know, out on the football field, uh, the very first day of practice. And so, um, that was not a fun one, obviously I've done a couple of those wrongful death cases, another one out here in California. Um, in both of those cases, uh, the coaches were not at fault, you know, um, they, they just weren't, they followed the, in both of those cases, you had a coaching staff who did things by the book. You had an administration who did things by the book very responsible people, very responsible guidelines that they followed within the state. Um, it was just some weird abnormalities. Um, you know, one of the kids, uh, can't get too into it, but you know, one of the kids passed away. It was 78 degrees outside. You know, it it wasn't hot. There was a 15 mile per hour wind, uh, you know, so, but I think anytime there's, a death, there's going to be someone trying to be held liable. Um, you know, but then there's been, I've done four or five concussion suits, you know? And, uh, I think what's important to know is the 13 cases I've done, I've done seven. I've represented, uh, the, the school district and the coaches. And then six of them I've represented the athletes or in one case I represented uh, an official, um, and, and, and so there have been some cases I've taken where I've gone against coaches. I've gone against the district because, you know, one case out here in San Diego where this kid got a concussion and as much as I said, the, those wrongful death cases, the coaches did everything right. This concussion lawsuit, these coaches, this one, one coach specifically made such a grievous mistake where a kid says, I can't see. He, the kid is, is throws up in the locker room, literally passes out in the locker room, and the coach says, I don't have time for this shit. 
that way, and I'm part part in the language, but that was his exact quote. Get back in there. And the varsity coach came down to watch the JV game after their practice. He comes down. He's there for about one play, literally watched one play, saw that there was something wrong with this kid, pulled him off the field. He took his helmet off, and this was all on film. He took his helmet off, and the kid's forehead started started uh, filling up with blood and swelling up right then. Oh. That's how much blood was on this kid's brain, right, and in his head. And immediately you see the trainer and the head coach calling down for dad and they take him right to a hospital. And I mean, this kid's life has been negatively impacted forever. And I definitely gave an opinion there. I mean, I'm, I'm all about kids, you know, and um, I, if I have to get on a stand and testify against coaches because they've jacked up a kid's life, um, I'm going to do that. I'm going to err on the side of what's right for kids. And uh, that was a, a really painful thing to see. And then to see, you know, I don't want to go into this kid's life, but it, his life will never be the same, you know. So kind of a long answer to your question there. Oh, but it, no, it's, it's it, good. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And I think it's a reminder to coaches um, listening tonight. We have always got to err on the side of, of our kids' safety and their well-being. And um, we, we just can't, you know, we, I, I, some of these lawsuits, man, it's – I've seen some coaches do some stupid, stupid things all to get a kid through a game, right? a, a high school game. You yeah. Know? So we just, we got to be careful. We got to be careful. Well, I, I mean, that's a great reminder, I think, for all of our coaches, because usually, you know, even, you know, if it's happening, you know, out on the West Coast, it'll eventually reach us here in the Midwest. You know, I mean, we're just maybe sometimes a little bit slower on that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, moving into a different direction, coach, what? You know, one of the things that we always like to ask the people that we have on our podcast is, you know, who were your major influences throughout your career that obviously led to led you to, you know, where you are? We always kind of say, you know, we we stand on the shoulders of others, you know, to get where we are. So just interested to to hear your thoughts and on your influencers, coach. Yeah. So number one, it'd be a guy named Tom Pack, who was my high school coach. Um, I grew up in a small town, Fallbrook, out here in Southern California. Um, Tom Pack was that larger than life man. Um, he coached at my high school, I think, right around 25, 27 years. Um, he's one of those guys who, like, I remember when I was nine or 10, eight, nine or 10 years old, you know, going to the games in town with my dad who played at that high school. And after the game, being like, there's Coach Pack. You know, one time he walked by me with a couple of his players, and I was like, wow, there's, that's a legendary guy. You know, I remember seeing him at seven 11 when I was eight or nine years old and thinking how weird, like he wasn't wearing his coaching outfit. You know, <laughs> he was in his Saturday clothes uh, after mowing his lawn. And I was like, dang, coach pack dresses like all the rest of us. Yeah. Um, but, and then being able to, you know, I'll never forget hearing him talk at our first meeting as a little freshman kid, you know, and being like, I'm finally here. I'm playing for coach pack. And, uh, my, my, my high school career was cut short. I was in a real bad car accident between my sophomore and junior year, and my leg was torn up, broke every bone in my leg. I didn't walk right for seven months. And, uh, and so my junior year, I'm in a wheelchair most of the football season. And then my senior year, I try coming back uh, during spring football. I re-break two bones, and my career's over. 
But that started my coaching career. Uh, coach Pack had, you know, talked. We were talking, and he asked me to come down and coach the freshmen. Um, and he wanted to keep me involved in the program. He knew how much I loved football. He knew how much I loved Fallbrook football. And uh, he, he, it was awesome that he kept me involved. Um, and so I also, uh, he asked me to come in, and, and he kind of just took me under his wing. I, I came in one period a day. I sat in his office. I was, uh, uh, I think, what they call us? I, I was a senior doing uh, teacher's aid. I was a teacher's aid for him, you know. So during his one period of uh, athletic directorship that he had, I sat in his office with him, and I would file things or go run six copies of these schedules and put them in these coaches' boxes. And that's when I started thinking, man, I want to be an athletic director someday, you know. So. So Coach Pack is one of those guys who who served as a big mentor of mine. Uh, even when I was, you know, moved on and got my first head coaching job, he's the very first guy I called um, to let him know I got the job and picked his brain. I I would call him different times, you know, going in maybe to, I remember calling him going into our big rival game my first year as a head coach. Like, Coach, what are things I say and don't say this week? You know, so so definitely, you know, that's the number one guy right there. Uh, that it, you know, everybody's got one of those people that just helped set them on the path, and you know, it's, it's a really great story. And, and and you've been a published author. You you have a passion. You said for special teams. You've written a book on that. Um, you help coaches with resumes. Um, talk about your path getting into that avenue. Was it really kind of Coach Pack who who you saw helping other people, helping you, and you're like, this is where I got to go, or did, was it just a natural a natural uh, you know, Donnybrook, if you will. In in what way, Tim? Well, like, you know, helping people, did that just become your path as, as you, as you saw how much you were helped? Did you feel like, you know, I got to be able to give yeah. back? Yeah. I'd say, you know, I'd say that comes from my mom more than anything. You know, she was a giver. She, she was always helping people. So I think I learned that from my mom growing up, but as far as in the coaching ranks here, you know, yeah, I mean, that, that honestly was born out of me being, being let go, you know, in 2011, I was at a private school and a brand new superintendent came into that school. Um, you know, you don't have any tenure at a private school and he wanted to change out coaches to bring in somebody he thought could influence more kids and bring more people into our school. Uh, football wasn't going in a very good direction. Uh, you know, we won a league championship that year, but we had, we had fallen down to eight man football because of our numbers. And so he wanted to make a change there. And at the age of 35 years old, I'm, I'm looking for a job for the first time in my life. And uh, that's when I got on Twitter at that time. I wrote, I, I created my own website. Um, as I started tweeting out some articles, I was trying to mar just market myself for a new job. And guys started asking for stuff. And then I realized, uh, you know, I love writing. I, I've always loved writing, but I never had written a lot about football or coaching. And so I started writing these articles and just started putting things out there. And I realized guys were asking me for things or, hey, I saw you tweeted this picture of a you know kick return. Can you give me some more details on that? Can you get on the phone and talk about your punt? Um, and so I just, you know, kind of it was just born kind of in a bad time in my life as far as look being out of work. But but uh, just kind of had a rebirth there in, in, in my own career, you know, in, in helping people. And and I realized that uh, there's a lot of people that, you know, that want help and need help from all over the nation. And I'm like, dang, this is 
some of this stuff comes very easy to me, like administratively, because I've always been a very organized guy. Um, you know, some guys aren't as strong in that area. So if, if they're asking me, hey, do you have this document that would, uh, you know, help me organize my uh, my our equipment bag? Yeah, here it is. Boom. Oh, man, this is amazing here. I thought this took like four minutes to put together. That's easy for me, but it's not easy for others. So <laughs> some of the stuff they're great at, I suck at, you know. So, so yeah, that's kind of how that was born. So coach, when when you were coaching, and you know, I think even now as as an administrator, when you are in charge of you know not just a coach but all coaches, what do you look for in your coaches for their non negotiables with their athletes, or what would even be your non negotiables for your for your coaches? Yeah, so you know, I years ago when I was an athletic director, the the night I took over. And my principal, you know, he called me, said, hey, you're our guy. This was back in, I think, 07. I sat down that night at a restaurant on a napkin, and I wrote out what I, I said was going to guide me as the athletic director and then guide our athletic department. And this was at a private Christian school, and it was the Eagle Way. The e That was our mascot, the Eagles. The Eagle Way, uh, building Christians, winning championships. And now that I'm in the public sector, that's turned from building Christians into building character. Um, building character, winning championships. That's my two-pronged approach as an as a athletic administrator and athletic leader. And then under each one of those, are, there's you know three different things under each one of those as to how we're going to carry that out. But I want coaches who are going to build character into these kids' lives. Uh, you might be someone who wins a lot of championships, but you don't care about the kids and you don't care about building character. I'm not going to hire you because you don't fit into my philosophy of, of – running an athletic department, vice versa. You might create a lot of good character and, and develop some outstanding leadership and be all about kids, but your technical tactical aspect of things is not good enough to, to move your team forward to compete. I, I don't want you then either. I think that's a mistake. A lot of high school administrators make where, Oh, he's such a great person. Let's give the football program to him, but they, they aren't going to ever put a competitive program on the field. And, and I really believe, and I've had some people say, well, I don't think you should have winning championships as part of that mantra. But I, it's, it's, you're not going to be judged as to whether you won a championship this year. But are you doing everything to, to improve your program to the point where they could win a league championship? You know, Is your program improving to the point where you're, you, we can consider you a championship-style program, a championship-level program? Because you might field – you know, I had a team like this back in the early 2000s, probably one of the best teams at that time to ever go through our school. But our rival in our league, they won the CIF championship that year, which is like a section championship, 50 teams in a section. You know, they won the section championship that year. So we lost the league championship to them in week 10, and then they won the section championship. I mean, that's so, so that's the thing. Well, like, did we fail that year? I don't think so. It's the best school, best best program sorry slow down the best team that school had in 40 years but we didn't win a championship because we played a team that had their best team in 40 years you know so um so that's what I'm looking for though I'm looking for coaches who build character in the lives of these kids and then put their programs into positions to win championships so as a leader what what is the toughest job that you have in, in running a department like that. And then 
to flip side that, how do you really define leadership? The toughest job in running a program like that, I would say, boy, that, that's a really good question. What's the toughest job in running a, a high school athletic program? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, leading others. Yeah, I think that the toughest job in leading others really is to get people to buy into that vision. Mm-hmm. Um, that night in, in 11, when I took over at that school, they had won the year before, they had won zero league championships, okay? And when I got up before all my head coaches and assistant coaches in the room, about 40 guys in the room, and I put that up on a PowerPoint, here's our goal. We want to build Christians, win championships. Um, there were guys, five or six guys kind of in the back table who started laughing about winning championships. Like, we don't win championships here. And I, and I looked right at him and I said, then you need to leave. And the room got very quiet. My first full year there as, a, as AD, we won – uh, one league championship and then three league championships and then four league championships. And then my, my fourth year there as AD, we won five league championships. That's the most that that school had won in 40 years, 40, 45 years. I go to a new school in 2012. They won three league championships in 10 years. I had the same spiel with them. Now it's a public school. I put the same thing on the board. Uh, in fact, we were also the Eagles, which is funny. If I put it up there, the Eagle way, building character, winning championships. And I'm telling you, man, it was the same thing. There was a couple guys in there kind of snickering about that. And they're like, do you know how many championships we won here? I said, yes, you won three league championships in 10 years. And if you don't think we're going to do that here, you need to leave. You need to leave the program because I want Mm -hmm. guys here to buy into this. So there, our first full season there, we won six league championships. All this, the same league, the same opponents, all the same kids. So they won three in 10 years. We won six in my first year. Now, some of those people in that room that night, I got rid of because they, I evaluated their program. I sat and met with them and talked with them. We talked about what are some barriers to winning a championship here? What are some barriers to building character? And they didn't buy into the same philosophy I had, the same philosophy our superintendent had. And so we moved guys out. So those six league championships we won, three of them were won by guys I brought, I hired that year, you know, but I think Tim, to answer your question, that's, that's the hardest part of, of leadership, in my opinion, of an athletic department is really getting everybody to buy into your leader, to to your vision, you know, Um, at that same school, you know, we had an assistant superintendent who didn't like athletics and, and uh, every time I tried to get a little money out of her or something, you know, It, I got no, no, no. And so the superintendent had told me, if you're ever told no, because he had pressure from the board, our athletics department's not very good. We need to make it good. So that's why they made an AD change. He brought me in and said, if you ever told no about anything you need to do here to win, you come see me. My door's open. So I had to do that a few times. Well, that ticked off, you know, the assistant superintendent. But um, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not answering to her. I'm answering to the superintendent. So I think that's the hardest part, though, is just getting the whole community to buy in, you know, even kids when they would they would walk in. I, I had that put on a big banner in my office and they would be like championships, you know, and, and laugh about it. So when there's not that culture there and you're trying to turn it, that's that's the hardest part right there. But I think I mean, what a tone set setter for you coming in and you have people snicker and you call it out right in front of all, you know, all the coaches and be like, look, if you don't believe this, there's the door. 
Yeah. I, to me, that would if I was in a meeting with an AD who did that and called out other coaches who weren't whether you know buying in whether it's like you know their mindset or weightlifting or anything to do with you know let, let's try to move the needle forward in, in regards to our program and they were to call it out like that, I would be like, whoa, this yeah, guy, this yeah. guy is serious or this administrator really wants us to be better. I mean, so that, yeah, and, that's outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, the, the head football coach who was there at that second school, I talked about that public school, he had won two of those three league championships like just in the last two years, you know, and he was a very good coach. And, and he came up to me afterwards and he played a role in getting me there to that school. Um, and he came up to me, you know, when everyone was gone that night and he's like, dude, I got goosebumps when you did that. And he said, that is exactly what some of these guys need to hear, you know, and he's like, hey, I'm so glad you're here. And man, that motivated me. You know, we're going to we're going to bring home another one. And, and sure enough, he did that year. And um, but but you're right. You know, it, it did. And, and and I met with every head coach the next three days. Every head coach who was in that group meeting, I met with the next three days. And I could tell I'm, I'm not kidding, man. I could tell within three or four minutes of that one on one meeting if they bought into what I'd said a couple nights before. Three or four minutes into it by some of the I, and I opened that meeting with, hey, do you have any questions about our meeting the other night? And within three or four minutes, I could tell if they bought in or not. I mean, it was that quick. I would say 80% of them, you know, I could tell right away. Well, I, I think one of the things that, you know, we often hear, uh, you know, happening is people apologizing for standards of excellence. Oh, and, crazy. And, and having standards uh, and, and holding people accountable to that standard uh, almost makes you uh, a pariah. And listening to you, that the same thing. I'm thinking of that as a head coach. Uh, You talk about setting the tone with your athletic department. We we are here to build people and to win championships. Um, That that really tells a strong message about what you value. And and I like how you determine or you distinguish between. Look, it's not about winning the state championship, but it's about doing everything that you possibly can to put yourself in a position to earn that opportunity. And and there's so many coaches you see that are just teaching to coach, you know, or, you know, it, and it's just like, well, I, I can do it. I've never done anything with it. But, boy, the kids are nice and they work hard. And, you know, we'll have a little banquet and have pizza afterward and everyone will get a reward. And, um, you know, that drives me freaking bonkers. Yeah. Um, because you know, when you put your name onto a program, you're putting everything about you in that program. At yeah, least that's absolutely. the way I that's the way I view it, and I, I know Dwayne does too. And in hearing you talk, you know, there's nothing more important than your name and, and your brand. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, one of the one of those coaches I had to change out, and and I, I knew, you know, I did I had done a lot of research on him, you know, and the program, and then I could tell with his body language that night, and then like I said, three or four minutes into the meeting, I could tell the one on one meeting, I could tell. You know, a cross-country coach who had like four or five kids in his program out of, you know, a school of a thousand. And I'm like, he's just he just doesn't care. You know, that's what he's just he you know, he'd rather go run with the kids and improve his time. I, I doubt he'll listen to this. If he does, I don't care. But he'd rather improve his three mile time, you know. And I, I went out and hired this. Uh, I, I knew nobody in the area. And so I did a You know, went through a whole interview process, a real paper hire and hired this dynamite, this dynamite gal who came in and in a month, she had 30 kids out there, you know? And I'm like, this is, so when you evaluate, you know, 
that that winning side of things, you got four kids in your cross cross country program. You don't even have enough to score, you know. And now we got thirty done. Like I'm check that box right there. You've already done enough in moving this program forward in the area of excellence and, and championship mentality. You know. Well, and it so, goes goes back to what you said, and when you were talking about uh, you know being an, an expert, you know, for it's it's for the kids, right? And what's better for the kids? four or five people on the cross country team are having over 30. Obviously the kids are being better serviced with that. So, you know, that's proof in the pudding right there that you made the right choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You're right. Our kids deserve our best. And that's why I've had to kind of defend, like you said, Tim, I've had to defend that, that mantra of, you know, building character, winning championships. And they're like, well, it's not all about championships. And you have to explain that mentality, you know, you have to defend that mentality but that's what it is. What what are we doing this for? We're, we're just going to feel the team and be excited. We have five kids out. Whoop de freaking do, you know? We owe these kids more than that. If you're truly here, four kids, you know, how are you satisfied with, with having four or five kids on your cross-country team when you have a 1,000 in the school? How are you satisfied with just rolling the balls out there and sitting on a stinking chair in the corner of the tennis court and, you know, winning 30% of your games five years in a row, it's because you don't care. You don't care to teach these kids. Why, why should we keep you around, you know? Just because you're a good person, I just I, – I, kids deserve more than that. They, they really do. And, unfortunately, I don't know what it's like there, but, unfortunately, in California, it's becoming more and more of, you know, let's just keep everybody happy principals don't want anybody in their office. Superintendents don't want any complaints. And so let's just, you know, let's roll the ball out and be happy that we're fielding a team. And I'll never be okay with that. I'll never be okay with that. Well, we, we've heard it described that the opposite of love is indifference. And, and uh, you know, that was the head coach at Grand Valley State talking about that. And, uh, boy, that really struck a chord with me because – holding someone accountable to the standard is really showing you that you really care about them and you I'm really want to be down. I'm writing <laughs> that one down. I, I love it. No, that's great. Uh, the opposite of love is indifference. Yeah. I've never heard it put like, I've never heard that quote, yeah. but that's, that's awesome. Well, it's not mine. I stole it. I stole it from Matt Mitchell, Grand Valley State. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give him credit. Yeah. Hey, when we come back from our break, we're going to talk with uh, some of the deficiencies that Coach Four sees in, in coaching these days and, and some things that we're going to take away from this whole COVID quarantine. All right. We're back here with Coach Chris Four. Uh, Coach, when you talk about your job as an administrator and your opinion, what is the highest deficiency that you see in coaching candidates when you see their resumes come across your desk? The highest deficiency. Well, can I speak to that a little more outside of being an administrator? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. As, as, as a you know consultant with resumes, it's, it's, it's just, and for the listeners who don't know, since 2012, I've been consulting guys on their resumes, coaches on their resumes, um, trying to help coaches build good resumes to get get in the interview room and and the number one you know mistake guys make coach is they they don't uh, sell themselves well enough on that on that resume they list their job titles and their job duties and you know um, uh, I had one from an NCAA Division one basketball coach won't say what school 
an assistant uh, back about a month ago. Um, you know, he he was told he wasn't going to be coming back to his school. And the very first bullet point was – or the title said assistant men's basketball coach. And the very first bullet point was responsible for coaching basketball. <laughs> and you're like, holy smokes, dude, you know. Um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of coaches just follow the business model of making a resume and it's not their fault. They just don't know. And they just list their job titles and their job duties and they're not selling themselves to the resume reader. Um, you know, coaches by nature are very, very humble people most of the time. And they think that, you know, I don't want to brag about myself, but as I tell coaches every day, your resume is the, the number one place that you do need to brag about yourself if you want to get into the interview room. Well, no, uh, sometimes, you know, what do you do for that coach, though, that uh, maybe hasn't had the success? You know, you you got to you got to go digging for it then. Right. To, you know, highlight yeah. those areas that, uh, you know, I know, for instance, uh, when I first started uh, and you did my resume a number of years back, uh, you know, I, there were some things that I had to go and, and just look up and, and coaches, you know, sometimes we don't even think about this, but improving your yards per carry, those kinds of things are, are, are things that, uh, you know, you should be looking for to add to your resume. Yeah. Or just, just, uh, you know, it's been weird guys. Cause usually, um, in May I'll do like one or two resumes the whole month of May, you know, but this past May I did 10 or 12 because of the COVID shutdown. I think some guys kind of got antsy where they were, and then some guys just lost jobs, which has been sad, um, or they were informed they're not going to be coming back, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, two weeks ago, I was working with a coach out here in Southern California, and we were talking about some of these things because he has not been in a very good program. Uh, but I said, well, let's talk about fundraising. You know, he's like, oh, I brought in this idea. We brought in about $4,000 this year. And I said, oh, that's great. How much did they bring in last year? And he said, coach, they didn't raise one dime in fundraising. All of it was covered by the district. I mean, they, they, they had no other funds to do anything. And I said, dude, you raised your – so that, that became a bullet point on his resume. You know, We uh, instituted three fundraising, uh, fundraising avenues to bring in $4,000, comma. They brought in zero the year before, you know. Um, another coach I've talked to, I can't remember, within the last three or four months, they doubled fundraising from $1,000 to $2,000. Well, $2,000 in some programs, not a lot of money, right? And so you don't want to say, hey, we increased fundraising from $1,000 to $2,000 because some principals are going to be like, $2,000, dude, you better bring in about $20,000 for our program um, or $100,000. You know? So on, on his there, we just said he he spearheaded a fundraising movement that doubled the annual funds from the year before. So is that lying? No, it's telling the absolute truth. Now, if somebody wants to ask him, he's going to have to say, yeah, I went from one to 2000, but that was a good, you know, that's, that's a good percentage, but yeah, you do, you have to dig around a little bit, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure out, you know, Hey, I, I had a coach recently figured out nobody at his school knew this. He reached uh, 50 wins faster than anybody in his school's history, like 70 year school history, you know, and he's like, dang, my school should have done something for me for that. You know? so, but as, as we talked about this process of, you know, make, bragging about yourself on your resume, that's one cool stat he found out. Uh, that same coach also found out they set a school record for most points in a season, which was pretty cool, you know. But he didn't even know that until he dug into uh, some of the history at his school. So, 
yeah, it's, it's some of those. I mean, even if you go two and eight, you know, you, you there might have been some things that you had control over that you improved. You know, how about off the field? Uh, did you institute a new community service program and you documented the hours and, you know, your football program gave 275 hours back to the community? Principals love seeing that sort of thing. In the, in the classroom, you know, one year I, I had an 0-10 season one year as a head coach. Uh, also that year as a head coach, we won uh, a uh, GPA award, you know, for the highest GPA for the football program in the league. Um, so that's, you know, that's a nice thing where they hadn't won that like in 15 years, something like that, you know. What would you say on the other end of that, though, as an administrator, if you have resumes come across your desk and not necessarily the bragging about, uh, you know, uh, their achievements, but what would you say would be if you saw a resume and you saw this on there, you're like, oh, my gosh, red flag. Absolutely not. Don't you know, we don't want to see this. What would you say are the red flags coaches should stay away from on putting on their on their resume? Guys, I really think um, one of the big red flags is when is when coaches name like take credit for players that they've you know they've had a kid go to the NFL or you know go on. There, there's certain we we have some control over kids going to college, right? Like if it's a small level college, like honestly, if we have a kid going to Alabama, we did not do anything. We we did nothing. Some coaches here will disagree with me, but we did nothing to get that kid to Alabama, right? If we had a kid going to a power five school, we didn't create his size and speed and strength usually, right? Um, so coaches who brag about that aspect of things, you know, like we sent this many kids off to these division one schools and, you know, or, you know, we sent, we've had three kids go to the NFL from our program. It's like, coaches really don't have control over that type of freak that they get into their program, you know, athletic freak, genetic kid won the genetic gene pool. Um, That's kind of always a little bit of a red flag. If that's the most substance that they have is the kids that they are taking credit for. Um, You know, I'd rather see something like, Hey, we, we sent, you know, we sent uh, two kids to the NAIA and two kids to division two football comma, they've sent no kids to college the last three years, you know, I can see, wow, these guys take recruiting seriously. They're doing a lot to get kids to the next level because those kids playing at that smaller level, coaches and the kids have to do some work to market themselves and, and get out to those levels, you know? So again, that comparative analysis is what's important to me, you know, in, in that world. But, but I, I, that's kind of a red flag or like when, when coach out here, a lot of coaches coach club also, and when when they brag about their club coaching experience for a high school resume job, or for on their resume for a high school job, that's always a little bit of a red flag too. So you really you you've also talked to coaches about preparation and understanding where it is your what environment you're going into. Uh, for, uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, really, really important thing. I do not think enough coaches understand the importance of this. I mean, if you have an interview, you you want to know as much about the room, the room. I'm talking about the room setup. I, I've I've gone in interviews. I've asked about the room setup, do you, and usually the HR person will be like, uh, they've never been asked that question. But are we sitting in a circle? Are we sitting in you know a round square table, a square atmosphere? I mean, who's in the room? I've I've had. 
I had a, I interviewed for a principal job at my alma mater where I was born and raised last summer. And I asked the, the gal who set up the interview for me and all that HR administrative assistant, you know, I said, hey, can you tell me who's going to be in the interview room? And she sent me a list of all the people in that room, the five people who are going to be in that room, their name and their their title. And and then she like an hour later, she emailed back and said, Chris, that was uh, that was private confidential confidential information. I was not supposed to send you. I got in trouble for that. So please don't let anybody know, you know, and I don't know. It's not like she did it because she's a friend of mine. I don't know her, but I just I think it's important to ask that question. So now I know the five people who are going to be in that room. I can do a little research on them. I can try to find out a little bit of what makes them tick. You know, for instance, I, I went to an interview for the athletic director job I talked about. I found out there, I asked the same question, who's going to be in the room? And they said, well, the assistant superintendent of business services. Well, I go on their website. I Google that lady. I find out, you know, I find out she has a kid in one of the athletic programs. So during my interview, you can bet your bottom dollar, I built in one of my answers. I talked about that specific program, which wasn't very successful on campus, but I knew that that would pique her interest, right? Um, and so knowing who's in the interview room, if you can try to figure that out, that's really important. Um, and then just knowing as much about that school as possible. I'm not talking about their school motto. You know, I'm talking about talk to reporters in the area. Reporters will give you a lot of information. Sometimes they'll even know. I, I, you know, I, I wrote a chapter in my book about the sham interview. There's a lot of interviews out there these days that are shams. They're totally fake, you know. And and sometimes you reach out to to the media. They'll, hey, do you know anything about this job? You know, I'm going to an interview for it. Can you tell me anything about it? Oh, uh, Chris, that job, dude. This guy's getting that job. That's not even a real interview you're going to. And so then you can make a choice. You know, do I go through with it or, or do I not? So, you know, last example here. At that public school athletic director job I took in 2012, I had found out that their softball program in the last decade, they'd only won 30% of their games. I brought that up in my interview. And one of the board members, and this is where, again, I, I write this, another chapter in my book about finding your dream job is called Shock the Interview Panel. And I said, in that interview, I said, you know, Take, for instance, your softball program's only won 30% of their games in the last 10 years. And a board member stopped me and he said, whoa, 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 what did you say? And I said, your softball program has only won 30% of their games in the last 10 years. I don't think that's acceptable. And he said, how did you know that? And I said, well, I did my research. And I wanted to make him think a little bit. I didn't tell him max preps. But I said, well, I've, I've done my research on the school. And he looks over the principal and he goes, is that true? And the principal goes, I, I, I have no idea. And he said, well, that's not acceptable. That's what the, the board member said to him and said, that's not acceptable. And I said, sir, you're absolutely right. It's not acceptable. Here's how I would change that. And then he said, why do you think we've only won 30% of our games the last 10 years? I said, that's very easy to diagnose. You've had six coaches in the last 10 years. And again, he looks at the superintendent and he, or the principal and he goes, is that true? And the principal said, yeah, probably. That's probably about right. So... <laughs> Later on, when I was talking to that board member at a football game, two months later, he said, you won my vote right then. You know, right right then. He he said, I was done interviewing. Right then, I knew you were the guy. You know, that really can't go understated, Coach, because, you know, that's something 
you taught like one of the nuggets that you told me about when I first started looking to be a head coach is to research your schools and research do as much as possible. And, and I don't know if enough coaches out there do that. And the fact of whether it's, you know, searching on Google for the history of the program or, you know, that they're looking to try to take over or even going something that I found it to be a good resource as well as going back and looking through board minutes. You oh, know? heck yeah. I mean, going and looking through board minutes and, and looking to see what, uh, you know, how they support their athletic programs and stuff like that. And, you know, that's a huge uh, piece that I think sometimes coaches sometimes overlook and don't even think about doing. No, absolutely. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. And, and not only coaches, but any athletic directors on the on the you know podcast here, or aspiring administrators. Uh, when I got this job as an assistant principal right now, uh, two years ago, I, I was doing my homework bef- before that interview, and I got on the district website. I wanted to look at who the assistant superintendents were. Um, that's one where they didn't give me any intel on you know who's going to be in the room. Not nothing. They just said, "Oh, that's confidential information," type of deal. And a lot of districts. A lot of districts aren't going to tell you who's going to be in the room. Some of them will tell you, you know, oh, we got five people, a parent, you know, a couple staff members. But, but anyway, I, I, the, there are three assistant superintendents and this director of HR, which I figured he'd probably be in the interview. Um, we actually coached together in the 90s. Um, but I haven't thought of this guy since probably 1998. You know what I mean? But as soon as I saw his name, and it's a very, uh, very rare last name, I was like, dang, that's him. I coached with this guy a long time ago. Not only that, my sister was his AS, was in his ASB class and loved him. My mom did a lot of volunteering at the school. They got along real well. So when I got to the interview and he walks out and goes, hey, and I right away I was like, hey, Mr. Gable, how are you? And he goes, do you remember me? I said, oh, man, absolutely. Now – I ain't going to lie. If I didn't do that research, I probably wouldn't have recognized him 20 years later. I probably wouldn't have remembered who he was. But right away, before the interview even happens, we're able to talk about things from 20 years ago, and I'm able to connect with the man right then, you know, on a real personal level. So, And I honestly don't think I would have – you know, 20 years is a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy. And so I don't think I would have recognized him, you know, or even if he said his name, I don't – it might have rang a bell, but I but I don't know if I would have been able to put it all together right there. So it is. It is so important to do your research. And I mean, hours spent. If you really want the job, spend hours on it. Because here's the deal, and here's why. When I'm on the other end of that table, and as an athletic administrator, athletic director, assistant principal, what have you, interviewing, and when guys tell me answers or gals tell me answers that make absolutely no sense about our job, or you can tell by they're trying to apply the success they've had in their area or their last school into my area where I know it ain't going to work because of the demographics. Um, or they talk about, well, I don't, I don't know why this pro, you know, a lot of coaches give this answer in interviews, you know, Oh, I don't know why they haven't won more. Well, you did no research about the job. That just looks really bad. When, when you don't know about the job and you're in the interview room, one really good way to fall out of the graces with your interview panel is by not knowing some of the very basics about the job or guys who ask stupid questions in it. Like I had a coach one time ask about now, which league is this? Are you guys in this league? And I'm just like, I mean, I, my, in my head, 
when I'm interviewing a basketball, this was a basketball coach. I'm interviewing a basketball coach, and he asks me in the interview what league we're in. You're, I'm done. I'm done. I, 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 I got no patience for that kind of junk. You know. Well, I'll say this, coach. I walked into uh, an interview. And I, you know, like you, do my research, and I knew there was going to be a player interview panel, and and so uh, I looked up the roster. I knew stats going into it, and so uh, when they introduced me to players, you know, you know, I even finished like their last name before they could say their last name. Wow. I mean, you know, so the the players, and you know, I was rattling off stats that they, you know, had for the previous year, and you could tell. Um, that that was impressive to them that I had took the time to know that I even knew what other sports that they had played and were getting ready to play because we were it was an interview during you know not during football season kind of deal. So I think those are things that will set you apart in this process. If you if you are if you really want the job, like you said, you will spend that time. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I I commend you for that, coach, because a lot of people will not. They just a lot of folks are just lazy these days, you know, with this job search process and they won't, they won't do that kind of homework. And look, how, how do, how do we know people care about us? The time they spend with us. Right. And so that speaks volumes to those kids, man, this guy doesn't even know me. He took the time to just figure out who we were, what kind of coach will this be? I mean, that they, they want to fight for you before you're even there, you know? So that that's that's awesome to hear that, Coach. It, you, this whole thing that we've been dealing with since March twelfth, I think you said, is when about the COVID hit, um, and you know every state's a little bit different, you know, in terms of moving in and moving out and allowing things. You know, you've probably had some time to do a little ref- reflection and growth. What what are some of your, your takeaways from this whole COVID nineteen, and, and what are going to help you be better coming out of it? My main takeaway is I hate being a technician phone support specialist. So that's what I've turned into, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's like those first two, three weeks of distance learning, man, it was, it was 20 phone calls a day from kids, uh, teachers, parents who didn't know how to log into Google classroom, didn't know how to check their, their email. And it's like, man, I, I did not get into the business of, of working with kids, you know, I, I seriously, I, I kind of joke about that, but I became an IT specialist overnight, you know, and uh, that's one takeaway is just how much things have changed here. Um, that has not been fun, you know, by any means. Um, I, I think one of the main, you know, takeaways through this whole process is I have seen, I, I think it applies. I've, I've you know, I'm, I'm pretty active on social media, on following what other people are doing. I love I've always loved studying best practices, you know, um, if that's a PAT team or a high school graduation during COVID, like what, what are the best things people are doing? And I've seen districts really rise and leaders really rise and fall during this time of, of, of a real setback to our educational system. And there's some districts in, you know, Southern California where you look at them and it's like, Man, these guys, they did not skip a beat, it seems like, you know, that my, my kids district, they they go. I live about an hour from where I work. So, I, you know, I drive about an hour every day. And so they they're in a different district than my district and my kids district. 
man, they, I've been so impressed with their leadership, you know, during this whole thing. And just the, the way that they, they haven't been reactionary, you know, they, they've taken very measured steps. Uh, some people in the area think that it's been slow. I've seen it just the opposite. It's been measured because once they've rolled something out, it's, it's worked so well. So I've really learned from some leaders, you know, during this time, I think leaders really rise and fall when bad things happen, you know, and, and I've seen some, some folks, you know, in Southern California, some of the school districts, just you kind of inspired by them, you know, by what they're doing. And, and I, I think that, you know, maybe above all that, just educators are awesome people, you know, and, and, these teachers, I give our teachers so much credit because not, not just at my school, but teachers in general, all over America, they had to turn on a dime to, and they had to deliver content in a way. A lot of them have never delivered content. They had to reach out and mentor kids in a way they never have. And I've been really inspired by some teachers who have done a really awesome job at that. You know, the, the teacher of the year at my school, um, you know, the last two months of school is kind of one of the things that propelled her into that. You know, she, uh, she totally embraced, uh, Google classroom, zoom meetings, distance education. She's a French teacher who was having, you know, zoom meetings, teaching kids how to cook French food and get 90% of her kids in her classroom, you know? Um, it was just so I've been very inspired by by educators who have had to turn on a dime, learn a very a brand new thing, brand new way of doing things. And uh, that's been pretty encouraging for the most part. So, Coach, you know, I'm interested to hear your insight as an administrator, you know, with the social unrest going on right now with, you know, the George Floyd case in Minnesota. Um, how have your kids you know, responded? I mean, have you heard very much from, from athletes or what's the situation like out there in California? Yeah. I mean, as, as a whole in California, been a, a lot of, uh, a lot of demonstrations, a lot of protests out there. Um, just last night or just yesterday in my city, Apple Valley, where I live, uh, we live right on the main thoroughfare. It's, uh, you know, there's a, six foot block wall between us and a four lane highway. And so they had a, a protest out there. It's literally 125 yards from my driveway. And so all day yesterday, you know, we heard their chanting. Um, and it was awesome because our, I was really proud of our community because there was no unrest. It was, I, I walked over there at one point in the day. I rode my bike over there with my son at another point during the day because I wanted my eight-year-old to sit and listen to some of these protesters. I really wanted to use that yesterday as a chance to – I mean, I, look, I told my kids, your grandchildren will be asking you about this, I, I think. you know, I mean, it's such a pivotal time in American history. And so I wanted them to hear from these people. And, you know, we've had some of those talks in our own house – well, I know why they're out there, Dad. They're out there because of you know the civil un the the civil rights being taken away and and the police being mean to you know the black people. And I said, well, that's yeah, that's a big part of it. But but there's even more than it's not just that. You know, it, it's how some of our our folks are mistreated. And so I wanted them to hear directly from some of these protesters out there. You know, and so it, it's been inspiring. 
to me to see some of these people who are fighting for their rights, um, fighting for the civil rights they deserve. I'm actually hosting, you know, I have a podcast and this Sunday I've invited uh, about 10 African-American coaches on with me. Um, I'm asking them each five questions. I'm not sure how many of, I had to pick a date and time. Some of them just can't do it because of that. Um, but you know, one of the questions I've asked these guys, these men, these coaches who I really respect is just share with us what, what do I not have to deal with as a white man? You know, share some stories because I don't think enough of us have listened, you know, really listened to what our African-American players or fellow coaches, fellow teachers really have to deal with, you know? And, and as I've been having some of these preliminary discussions with these men, you know, one of them played football at USC. And in 1992, during the, you know, the Watts riots out here in California after the Rodney, they're referred to as the Rodney King riots, you know, um, he was down at a local liquor store with three other teammates who were white, you know, and a police car pulls up. And this is after all those riots, after all that unrest, you know, and a police car pulls up and they get out and they tell the three white guys to leave and they keep him there to question. Mm. And it's like, dang, man, that hit me. You know, Um, another friend who's going to join us, who's talked about being, you know, parked outside of his girlfriend's apartment, dropping her off after a date. And he's like, coach, we're in the car talking. (laughs) He pulls up, doesn't believe that this nice car really belongs to my friend, you know, just flat out white cop, just flat out says to my black friend, uh, this car don't belong to you. Does it do it? Does it, you know, where's the registration? You know, it's registered to his mom and, and the, you know, long story short, the cop pulls out the girlfriend and questions her for about 15 minutes about what she's doing there, what she's doing in that neighborhood, what she's doing in that car, what she's doing with this guy. And, it, you know, we, we've never had to deal with that stuff, you know. And so I just hope at, at the end of the day, you know, I, I was telling, I think, my, my wife this last night. It's like we were talking about our kids seeing all this and hearing all of this. You know, I hope to God in 60, you know, 60 years ago when Dr. Martin Luther King had to have this fight here in our streets in America. You know, here we are six years later dealing with all the same stuff. And I hope to God in 60 years, our kids aren't my kids, you know, when they're in their 70s, that they're not saying, oh, yeah, I remember that when I was 10 years old, you know, because we haven't grown, because we haven't gone anywhere. So I really hope that in 60 years, they're not having this same struggle as African-American, as a minority in our country. Well, I think there is hope there, Coach, because, you know, your kids, my kids, Tim kids are probably going to be one of the most diverse generations and, you know, open minded generation of our time. And so I think there is hope for there. But, you know, one of the things that I, you know, as a, I'm a social studies teacher, uh, you know, also coach, but, you know, as someone who teaches social studies to kids and I taught in southern Iowa, which, you know, people in Iowa know that's a, it's a little bit, uh, you know, I, closer to Missouri, you know, so it's, uh, you know, there are numerous Confederate flags flying in, you know, Southern Iowa. And I, you know, in some, you know, I heard someone talking to this a couple of days ago and, you know, obviously the Confederate flag doesn't mean everything 
to everyone out there. You know, some people see it as a sign of, you know, the, the KKK, you know, or some people look at it as family heritage, you know, kind of deal. Um, but, you know, I think as um, someone who is white, who doesn't know or, or will never know what it will be to be a, a young African-American in, in the United States, the one of the biggest things that to be an ally to them is just to be able to listen. And I think that's what you're showing there is you're teaching your kids that you're going to listen to them. And, uh, you know, we talked with some other coaches about this is, and you're going to probably show your child to express empathy to them and what they're listening to and, and their fight that they're going through. Um, but you know, one of the things that I think, you know, the change starts with us and as each individual, it starts with us. And, you know, like Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, silence to atrocities that you see makes you just as complicit in those, you know, even though you're not the one that's, you know, um, doing them, but you can't just stay silent to them. You need to, you know, speak truth to power and call those out when you see it happening. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think what you said earlier, you know, about our, our kids and this younger generation, that's what really inspired me yesterday standing out there was, you know. I think there it, it, the crowd grew to about 350 or so people at one point when I was out there. Um, you know, they were out there, first of all, from 11 to like not, 11 a.m. to 9. You know, they're out there for a long time. It was 103 degrees yesterday at one point in the afternoon. Um, the, Mer- the Make America Great Again group uh, was out there for about four of those hours, you know, and then they they, they left. And I thought that was really fascinating. Um, but the diversity in the crowd. You know, 20 years ago, this type of rally, you would probably see 80 percent, 90 percent of them would be black, you know, would would be African-Americans. Yesterday, that crowd of about 350, I would say maybe 40 percent. It was 40 percent black. And that might be part of just because of our demographics here in the desert. But uh, but I don't think totally. You know, I think we're seeing that around the nation, too. There's just a lot more people are involved uh, this time around and in these protests and, and supporting, you know, it was just my eight-year-old asked me that, you know, we, we sat and talked with a Hispanic guy for a little while and, and he said, dad, why does he care about black lives matter? You know? And so why is he holding that sign? And so we were able to have that talk about why he, and, and the whole principle behind that. So I think you're right in, in those regards. I think a lot more diversity is, is having a voice. And so hopefully that does help. Well, I hope that the, you know, and look, I'm not look advocating for the, the looting or any of that stuff because I've seen some some of the people who truly care about the cause take those people who are doing those uh, crimes in those groups, you know, under the posing as a protester, or, you know, peaceful protester, uh, you know, actually take those people to the police and say, hey, this guy's breaking or this person's doing doing some stuff. You need to arrest them kind of deal. Um, but I hope the movement continues to grow, like you said, because that's the only way that we're going to ever have change is collective action, you know, collective action as a group. I mean, that's the only way that you you in- invoke change as, as a society. Absolutely. Absolutely. Coach, as we as we look to wrap up here, we're always fascinated by the leaders that we have on here and, and what they're reading. Um, you know, what are some things that that you you would like people to know? Uh, that have influenced you from a book standpoint? What are you reading now? What do you recommend um, to grow? 
great question. The book I'm reading now, I just started. And let me look it up real quick, guys, if you if you don't mind, because it's a great book. It was recommended to me actually on a podcast I did a few weeks ago. Um, I was a guest on a podcast and they had recommended to me this book. And it's it's so great. I can't remember the name of it. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, it's sitting. It's it's uh, here we go. Here we go. I knew it was very basic, but it's called the first 90 days. So uh, it is a great book about it. And I'm about three chapters in. But uh, anybody going through any kind of career change or maybe taken over as a head coach for the first time, it's called The First 90 Days by Michael Watkins. And uh, uh, boy, it is a great book. It's called The First 90 Days, Proven Strategies for Getting Up to Speed Faster and Smarter. And and I'm taking over. I'm I'm taking over as a, a new principal on July 1st at a school out here, and uh, it's been just helping me to set the right frame of mind going into a new leadership role. You know, it it, it so far in the book it kind of talks about some of the pitfalls that leaders face when they go into a new a new endeavor, and so it's kind of helping me to understand going slow. And get to know your people, almost like that whole interview process we talked about, you know. But so far, three chapters in, it's a great book. Um, uh, I've also finished one recently about In and Out, In and Out Hamburger Chain out here. Mm. I think it's just called In and Out Hamburgers or something like that. But it's a fascinating book about uh, le- the leadership of of the Snyder family who started In and Out, leadership and vision that he had. I mean, he. One of the first guys to start a drive-through was out here, and I didn't know that before reading the book. You know, he and his wife, who started this uh, little burger restaurant out here in Southern California, and uh, you know, it, it's the best burgers you'll ever have. First of all, here. never had them. Can you send? Oh, there. Kenson sent some to Tim and I here in Iowa, Coach. Oh, uh, In-N-Out hamburger is phenomenal, but uh, it's it's a great book about leadership too, because just. Again, you know, it's his vision of doing things and may and, and a lot of takeaways in that book because he talks about, you know, the the tagline for In-N-Out Burger is quality you can taste. And they talk about how important that that tagline was as their driving principle. And I pull out a lot of information from that book about leading an athletic program or leading a school because, you know, one of the things they did, they were really tempted by money, they started making a lot of money to start opening up all these restaurants. But then they soon realized we won't be able to get fresh lettuce and fresh tomatoes and fresh pickles out to these guys. And that's what is important to us is quality you can taste. And so they never got away from that mission and and that vision they had quality you can taste, you know, and that's where I see a lot of leaders start to make mistakes when, when they do get away from that vision, but they were always driven by that 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 main you know vision that they had and so that that book is kind of one of those and again somebody recommended that to me as as a great book about business and and leadership and i never thought a book about you know a restaurant would would give me that but that book's been pretty pretty fascinating too that's incredible you know i I, just amazing what you pull from books that sometimes you don't necessarily think you're going to get a lot of and i think you know, I, I think I speak for Dwayne and I when we say we've gotten a lot out of the last hour and 15 minutes. Uh, just an incredible time. Uh, we really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your and your wisdom, quite honestly, that, that needs to be shared with, 
with coaches and administrators in the world of education. Um, it, it's 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 too often that we get too uh, tied up into the X and O's and the little things that often don't matter as much in terms of uh, building an elite culture through leadership. And so we just want to make sure that you understand how appreciative we are of you taking time with us tonight, Coach. Absolutely. No, it's been fun. I, I love it. Again, thanks for the the, the invite. Uh, Listen to a bunch of podcasts the last uh, three weeks, I think, from you guys. And I, I really love it. You know, it's uh, I love the leadership talks. And that's I, I'm I think a lot of coaches these days are understanding X and O's will only get you so far. And so um, that's one thing I really enjoy about what you guys are doing with this thing. Coach, you know, when, uh, you know, if obviously people who listen to this and not familiar how to how to follow you or or get in touch with you, uh, you know, here we'd love and even to share your podcast with them, because I know, you know I, I wrote down that your podcast that you mentioned that you're doing with your uh, coaches uh, this Sunday, I definitely want to check out. Uh, so, you know, just please share your information with our listeners. Yeah, so probably the best way to get hold of me is on Twitter at Coach Four C O A C H F O R E, um, and then I have two different websites. One is kind of a blog. I got about four hundred articles on there, and that's Coach C O A C H F O R E dot org. Um, and again, and I just I've written a lot to try to help coaches with a lot of things. Um, and so, like I said, there's a lot of articles on there. You can get caught in a rabbit hole, reading a lot of information there. And then eightlaces.org, E-I-G-H-T-L-A-C-E-S.org. That's my consulting company where I've, you know, some of the stuff I've written is also for sale. So, um, I got some of the books I've published that are there, um, as well as, uh, the, my podcast you can find there or on iTunes. Be honest with you, I, I've I've done about sixty episodes. Um, once I became an administrator, it became a lot more difficult to carve out that time. It, it really did, and um, you know. But I'm I'm proud of what we've put together there. Um, spend not too many, not too much time on X's and O's on my podcast. It's called the Coach's Locker, uh, the Coach's Locker podcast. We do get into some football X's and O's, but also talk about program development. We talk about um, uh, job search process. And then I, I really like you guys are doing, I like interviewing, interviewing folks as well. So yeah, there's a couple of ways to, to reach out. I think you've had, uh, you know, someone, I think Joe Daniels has been on your podcast before. And, uh, you know, I know that, I don't know if he's been on your podcast, but, uh, Kurt Hines, you know, we've, t- we've had him on our, our podcast twice. And he said that he's had the opportunity to talk to you before he's, he said that, uh, you were top notch. So, yeah, Kurt's a great dude. It was good. You know, it's always fun when you talk to people on on social media and then maybe get on a phone call at some point, which Kurt and I did a couple of years ago. And then, you know, and then meeting somebody in person, you know, that's always a really fun thing to do. And and we have had a chance to meet a few times. And Coach Hines, is, he, he's as good as they come as a person. He certainly is. Yeah. Well, we're blessed because of the time you spent with us, Coach Four. Really appreciate it. Best of luck to you and your uh, endeavors at the, at the new school. What a great opportunity, an opportunity to do something different, it sounds like. Yeah. So yeah. You, we know you're going to be great. And, uh, you know, Thank maybe you. at some point in the future, we can get you back on here and talk about some of those cool things you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys. You have a good rest of the evening there. All right. As always, let's keep chasing life, leadership, and uh, pursuit of greatness in all that we do. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Thanks again for 
checking out our podcast today and sticking around to the end. Dwayne Mathis and I are so grateful that you decided to stop by. Just a reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on any platform that you use to listen in. Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, we're on it. If you have any questions, please be sure to send us an email at lifeleadpg at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners, about topics you want to hear regarding leadership. Also check out our YouTube channel. We post videos every Sunday and recap the podcast that we had the previous week. Great opportunity to get a quick hit of what we're talking about. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss an opportunity to get better as a leader. And as always, let's keep chasing life, leadership, and pursuit of greatness in everything that we do. Have a great night.